As we get into our study tonight, I just want to point out that the fall of Jerusalem happened in Ezekiel's time. It happened in our Lord's time in 70 AD. And the Bible foretells in Zechariah that Jerusalem is going to become the primary issue. And in verse 2 of chapter 12, he says, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it will happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples, and all who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered together against it. And that's clearly future. And I point it out because um, we'll we'll close tonight with Revelation 16. And um, we, Ezekiel 38, of course, we're coming up on, uh, where we once again... If we are in the last days and if we are close to the Lord's coming as we think we are, then we should be able to look out just at the world at large and see if these things exist. Is Jerusalem an issue in the world? Uh, Evidently, um, Russia says it's willing to fight for the Palestinians to have their own state. I just want to point out there's no such thing as a Palestinian. Never has been, never will be. They're not, they're not a race, they're not a nationality. Um, they simply cease to exist. Yasser Arafat was the one who coined the term. But there is no such thing as a Palestinian. And yet I have underlined here that what they want is um, uh, in a summit this weekend, Palestinians have the right to establish an independent uh, state with its capital in East Jerusalem. Now, we're going to be in Israel. We'll be leaving a week from today. And when we get to the city of David, which is the main archaeological work that's going on in Jerusalem right now, as we walk down it, when you look to the east, which would be over the Kidron, that's East Jerusalem. And it's from here to the sound room away. That's how close we are. And then the next sentence says that uh, last month the quartet of the U.S., the EU, and U.N. and Russia issued a joint statement after a meeting in Germany to express their frustration at the breakdown of talks in Israel. What's your point, Dwight? Simply this, that Israel is um, what the world is talking about, and uh, the problem is uh, over dividing the land, And um, we see that clearly prophesied here in Zechariah chapter 12. Now, in order for us uh, to get a a full grasp of the teaching of God's word concerning the city, we have to study through, I shouldn't say it that way, we get to study through God's word and um, see that the same similarities that existed then are once again prominent. Uh, I'll go through this verse by verse, but one of the main issues that uh, Ezekiel had to deal with as he was giving them the word of God, there was opposition against him and Ezekiel, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and um, their main problem was with the other people who were speaking in the name of the Lord. And so all of chapter uh, 13 tonight is just going to deal with the judgment 
of the false prophets, male, in the first 16 verses, and then the judgment of the prophetesses, female, in verses 17 to 23. A whole chapter is going to be given over to the Lord says, I have nothing to do with these guys. They're not speaking in my name. And, um, and we have that happening in, in the church today um, in, in like manner. So let's go back to chapter 10 with just a little bit of a background. Uh, the setting is, of course, uh, we talked about this on Sunday, that uh, Ezekiel was in Babylon, but he was taken by the Spirit um, to Jerusalem, and uh, the Lord shows them in, in chapter 8, this was our text where we went through 8 and 9 on Sunday, the reason for the judgment was their images that they were making, images, the image of jealousy. They were weeping for Tammuz, a Babylonian god. They were worshiping uh, the sun worship. And um, the Lord just calls in chapter 9, um, he said, that's it. He says, I want you to go through the, the, the city. I want, I want you to count and look for anybody that's grieved in their heart by what's going on, that they're worshiping these other gods. And if you see somebody that's moaning and sighing and is just overwhelmed because of the sin of the nation, mark them. Put a mark on their forehead because they're going to be spared. Um, and um, then judge the rest. Have no pity because I'm going to judge Jerusalem for these sins. And we left it off Sunday with Ezekiel weeping, and rightly so. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, but you gotta throw Ezekiel in there too. They were contemporaries. Jeremiah would have been in Jerusalem. Ezekiel was speaking to the, um, the captives that were taken um, to Babylon. It's also important to point out that Jerusalem has not yet fallen. We'll be talking about Zedekiah as um, he will be the last king to rule. Um, he will be taken. There's a prophecy here that says he'll be taken um, to Babylon. And, um, but as of yet, the reason that uh, there's false prophets as Jerusalem has not yet fallen to King Nebuchadnezzar. So you have this back and forth statements from Ezekiel and Jeremiah saying you don't fight it. Uh, judgment is imminent. You're going to be 70 years in captivity and the false prophets were saying just the other. And of course people prefer good news over bad news. They prefer to be happy rather than sighing and crying. But the Lord was saying, no, there, and we, this was one of our scriptures on Sunday, there's a time to weep, and there's a time to cry, and there's a time to be grieved when you see the things that are, that are happening. And I think the parallels between our country right now and what's taking place are very, very interesting connections between Israel then and the United States now. Chapter 10, verse 1 is a repeat of the very first chapter because um, Ezekiel be begins his book with this vision of the heavenly realm. It, it really is overwhelming what he's trying to describe and put in human terms. So because we went through this on 
in more depth in Ezekiel chapter 1. I'm still going to read it, uh, but I'll let it speak for itself. And I looked, and there in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubim, uh, there, there, there appeared something like a sapphire stone having the appearance of the likeness of a throne. This is Revelation 4 and 5. The uh, Apostle John saw this. He described it in the same way. John added that there was a rainbow over it. And he spoke to the man clothed with linen and said, Go in among the wheels, under the cherub, fill your hands with coal of fire from among the cherub, and scatter them over the city. And he went in as I watched. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple when the men went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. Now it says the cloud here, we're actually talking about the visible Shekinah uh, presence of the Lord. And uh, then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub. Now when we say the cherub, I want you to picture in your mind's eye the temple itself. And it would have been divided into two main chambers. Uh, There would have been where the altar was, that would have been outside, where the sacrifices were made. Then you had the holy place. And that would have contained uh, the, the, the bronze incense, the showbread, and the candelabra. And then there would have been a curtain, a veil. And it would have been highly decorated with, with cherubim. And behind that was, a, was the Holy of Holies. And the only thing in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And only the high priest was allowed to go in. And that once and once a year on Yom Kippur to make atonement. So above that, when, it, when we read here that in verse four that the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub, it's referring to the Ark of the Covenant where the literal presence of the Lord was. And I should say in the process of leaving. And um, of the threshold of the temple and the house was filled with the, with the cloud and the and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. So the Lord is there, but he's on his way out. And the sound of, of the wings of the cherubim was heard in the outer court in the voice of the Almighty when he speaks. Now it happened when he commanded the man clothed in linen, saying, Take fire from among the wheels and from among the cherubim. Now remember, these are separate. And we read earlier that the Spirit that was in the wheels was also the spirit of these four living creatures or cherubim uh, that each had four faces. And the cherub stretched out his hand from among the cherubim to the fire that was among the cherubim and took some of it and, and put it into the hands of the man clothed with linen who took it and went out. The cherubim appeared to have the form of a man's hand under his wings. And when I looked, there were four wheels by the cherubim, one wheel by one cherub and another wheel by each other cherub. And the wheels appeared to have the color of the barrel stone. And as for their appearance, all four looked alike, as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel, And when they went, they went towards any one of four directions. They did not turn aside when they went, but they followed in the direction that the face 
uh, the head was facing, they did not turn aside when they went. Now there's two ways of looking at this. Um, I don't think we can describe it because when we, we read earlier, this is happening uh, at the speed of lightning where they're going back and forth, each face going in its own direction, straight forward, and that's going back and forth at the, at the speed of lightning. And it has its, its, its own, um, their, their own identity. The wheels are separate, um, but directly connected with the movement of these four living creatures. Verse 12, in their whole body, with their back, their hands, their wings, and the wheels, the forehead were, were full of eyes all around. And as for the wheels, they were called in my hearing, wheel. Each one had four faces. The first face was like the face of a cherub. The second face, the face of a man. The third face of the lion. The fourth, the face of an eagle. And a cherubim were lifted up. This was a living creature I saw by the river cherub. Uh, he's going back to chapter one here. When the cherub went, the wheels went beside them, and when the cherubim lifted their wings to mount up from the earth, the same wheels also did not turn from beside them. Wow, I'm just getting blown away reading this stuff. And when the cherub stood still, the wheels stood still, and when one was lifted up, the other was lifted up. For the spirit of the living creature was in them, the wheel. Then the glory of the Lord departed. Now all of this as a picture, again, of Revelation 4 and 5. John sees the throne. He talks about the, the four cherubim there. He doesn't make mention of the wheels. Um, and the interaction and what's left out here that John tells us in Revelation 4 is they did not cease day or night but to say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come, and, um, and all involved with worship as John is trying to, or Ezekiel is, is once again seeing this vision. Verse 18, then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and monitored up from the earth in my sight. And when they went out, the wheels were beside them and they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house. Now the east gate, this is called the golden gate, it's the one that faces towards the Mount of Olives. It would have been in Jesus' time um, where he would have entered on, on Palm Sunday. And it says, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. This is the living creature I saw un, under the God of Israel by the river Shabar, and I knew they were the cherubim. And each one had four faces, and each one had four wings, and the likeness of the hands of a man under his wing, and the likeness of their faces was the same as the faces which I had seen by the river Chabar. Uh, their appearance and their person, they each went straight forward. Now sometime before God created planet Earth and the universe we live in, According to Job, it says that the angels sang for joy when the earth was created. Now that's interesting because um, 
Colossians tells us all things, all powers and principalities, things seen, things unseen, all things were created by him and all things were created for him. So what we have here is created beings that are somehow involved with the heavenly scene and what's missing that was once over these four guys would have been Lucifer himself. It says he was the anointed cherub that covers. And when we read about these guys, they're underneath. Remember? Remember when we showed the video clip? And we had them actually underneath. I want to take you back to where the glory of the Lord comes into the temple. What we're just studying right now is the departure. But I want to go back to 1 Kings chapter 8. So let's make our way back there. David wanted more than anything to build a temple for the Lord. He felt guilty. He lived in this beautiful cedar house and the Ark of the Covenant was in the wilderness tent and there was nothing uh, fancy about it at all. Um, Of course, the main part of the Wilderness Tabernacle would have been the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, The plans for that were given to Moses when he was on Mount Sinai. And they're extremely detailed, the measurements, how big it was supposed to be, and so on and so forth. David wanted to do it. The Lord told him he couldn't, but he said his son could. David prepares um, for the the building of the temple with... um, Great amounts of gold, um, the best cedar from Lebanon, the workers. Um, there's a place underneath Jerusalem they call um, Solomon's Mine. And they actually have uh, the excavation that you can go into these great big huge caverns. This would just be one, the size of our sanctuary, of just one of many that are interconnected where they did the quarry work. And um, here, after um, Solomon's temple is finally finished, um, verse 10 of chapter 8 says, And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud, now this would be the glory of the Lord, the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And it lasted for 410 years. That's just a note that I found when I was taking notes here. So for 400 years, uh, we have this, and now when we go back to Ezekiel, so go back to Ezekiel, After this much time, we have Jerusalem with the last king. Solomon would have been, of course, after Saul, there was David, and after David, there was Solomon. And after Solomon, there would have been Rehoboam. And then they had the division of the country with Jeroboam taking the ten tribes and governing from the north. He set up golden calf of all things in um, Bethel and up in Dan and uh, forbid the people from going to Jerusalem 
to worship. Uh, but here we have, um, in chapter 10, uh, the slow departure and the events of the cherubim along with the wheels uh, all being involved with the Lord departing from the temple. As we get into chapter 11, the theme here is a prophecy against Jerusalem's rulers. And Ezekiel is going to interact and uh, describe the destruction that's imminent. He's going to prophesy against uh, eventually between 11 and 13, the false prophets and the false prophetesses. Um, these 25 guys, if I got this figured out right, were opportunists. First of all, they didn't believe Ezekiel's message. And because some people had already been taken into captivity, that means that their possessions and their houses are left behind. And I think these guys are on the take, and I think they're prospering from the misfortune of some of those that have been taken into captivity. So verses 1 through 12 talks about these 25 wicked rulers. So evidently they have some prominence. And we read, Then the Spirit lifted me up, and he brought me to the east gate of the Lord's house, which faces eastward. And there at the door of the gate were 25 men, among whom I saw Jezani, uh, the son of Azur, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaniah, prince of the people. And he said to me, son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and wicked counsel in the city who say, the time is not near to build houses. This city is the cauldron and we are the meat. I therefore prophesy against them, O son of man. Then the spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said to me, speak. Thus says the Lord, uh, thus you have said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. You have multiplied your slain in the city. You have filled its streets with the slain. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, your slain who you have laid in the midst, they are the meat and the city is the cauldron, but I shall bring you out of the midst of it. You have feared the sword, and I will bring a sword upon you, says the Lord God. I will bring you out of the midst and deliver you into the hands of the strangers and execute judgment on you. And you shall fall by the sword, and I will judge you at the border of Israel, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, I know I've been repetitive on this, but here it is again. Then you shall know that I am the Lord is going to occur 54 times. Um, in the book. And the, the most important one is, of course, in Ezekiel 38. Verse 11. This city shall not be your cauldron, uh, nor shall you, you be the meat in the midst. I will judge you at the borders of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. For you have not walked in my statutes, nor executed my judgments, but have done according to the custom of the Gentiles, which are all around you. So here the Lord singles these guys out. Uh, they were evidently rulers, they're called wicked rulers here. And we have a complete change in, from verse, verse 13 um, through 21 here that um, we have the death in verse 13. It says, it happened while I was prophesying that 
Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, died. And I fell on my face and I cried with a loud voice and said, Ah, Lord God, will you make a complete end of the remnant of Israel? And the Lord sort of jettisons off into the future. And again, as we teach through the Old Testament, um, one of the things we want to be sensitive to, that the Lord will speak judgment and in the same chapter, uh, look way ahead to events that are even yet not fulfilled as we stand here tonight. Stage is set. But we're, what we're about to read is something that is yet even future to us. So we have a big change from these 25 guys. Somebody dies, and, and Ezekiel's beside himself, and he goes, Lord, is this it? Is there going to be no future for Israel, no remnant at all? Verse 14, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, your brethren, your, your relatives, your kinsmen, and all the house of Israel in its entirety are those about whom uh, the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get far away from the Lord. This land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, Although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles, And though I have scattered them among the countries, yet I will be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Therefore, says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, the assemblies from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Now, I personally feel, and I've read commentaries on on both sides of this, Some believe that this is just a reference to those in exile in Babylon. Um, I take the opinion that this is what we refer to as a double prophecy. The local fulfillment would be after 70 years, yes, they're going to come back. But I want you to notice the plurality, especially the word countries and not country. In verse 17, therefore says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples assembled from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And I believe that is referring to Ezekiel 34 through 37. And these 34, 35, 36, 37 talks about um, regathering the Jewish people back into the land, but clearly um, not the exile from Babylon. Um, and that, I'm getting ahead of ourselves because we'll, we'll get there shortly. Uh, and they will go there and they will take away all that is detestable, the things and all its abominations from there. And verse 19 is why I believe it's a double prophecy. Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them. When they were allowed to come back from Babylon, less than 50,000 came back. They had no work ethic at all. They began to intermarry. Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel um, sort of came, and one was a political leader, one was a religious leader, and they just had no incentive to do anything. And this is what the book of Nehemiah is about. He heard a report that they're back in the land, but nobody's doing anything. And Nehemiah is heartbroken. So the heart attitude here doesn't line up with the heart attitude 
of this less than 50,000 people that actually came back. A lot of them stayed in Babylon. They began to like Babylon. And um, uh, I will give them a new heart, put a new spirit with them, and, and, and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a, a heart of, of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. They shall be my people. I will be their God. But as for those hearts who walk after the heart of the detestable things and their abomination, I will recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. I believe this is futuristic. I believe it has to do with the kingdom age where they have this new heart. And um, uh, Zechariah really has a lot to talk about this also. The last three verses, four verses, is now getting back to the departure of the glory of the Lord. And we'll talk, um, connect some dots on Sunday of the similarities of this departure. I don't want to tell you that, because if I tell you that, it's not going to be, won't be a surprise on Sunday. But I hope by saying as much as I just did, it got your attention. It's sort of like, the seven thunders. They said something and then the Lord says, don't tell them what you just said. So, let's read it. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings, verse 22, with the wheels beside them and the glory of the God of Israel was high above them and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain. That's just a hint. Which is on the east side of the city. Then the Spirit took me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God into uh, back to Babylon to those in captivity. And the vision that I had seen went up from me, so I spoke to those in captivity of all the things that the Lord had shown me. He's back in Babylon. Now, everything that happened to him while he was in Jerusalem, he's trying to again persuade them not to have this false hope. You guys are staying here. You're not going anywhere. The Lord showed it to me. As a matter of fact, I saw the Lord leave. He's not even there anymore. I I seen him leave. I seen him go through the valley of the Kidron and right to the very, very top of the Mount of Olives. And um, here it is 410 years later, from when Solomon dedicates uh, the temple where the glory of the Lord first came and his presence was so overwhelming that the priests couldn't even stay in in the same room. They had to to depart uh, because of, of the glory of the Lord. As we get to chapter 12, um, we're back to object lessons, illustrations with signs. And uh, Ezekiel is told here to act out certain things that would be a visual. Um, I like using visuals from time to time. Um, So here's a sign of belongings for removing. And the Lord is speaking and he's asking Ezekiel in verses um, um, one through... 16 here 
of the signs belonging for removing, verse one of chapter 12. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house which has eyes to see but does not see, ears to hear but does not hear, for they're rebels in a rebellious house. Therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity and go into captivity by day in their sight. You shall go from your place in the captivity to another place in their sight, and it may be that they will consider, they might think about it, but they're rebellious people. By day you, you shall bring out your belongings in their sight, as though going into captivity. In the evening you shall go into their sight like those who go into captivity. I want you to dig through the wall in their sight and carry out your belongings through it. In their sight you shall bear them on your shoulders and carry them at twilight, and you will cover your face so that you cannot see the ground, for I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. It's an object lesson. So I did as I was commanded. I brought out my belongings by day, as though going into captivity at evening, I dug through the wall with my hand, I brought them out at twilight and bore them on the shoulders in their sight. And in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Now, son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? And say to them, Thus says the Lord God, This burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are among them. Now, this is a reference to Zedekiah. Zedekiah is going to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. So the illustration here is the night escape of the king of Israel, whose name is Zedekiah. Cross-reference here, if you're taking notes, is 2 Kings um, 25, verse 7. And verse 11 says, uh, Say, I'm a sign to you, as I have done, so shall it be done to them, they shall be carried away into captivity. And the, princes, and the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that they cannot see the ground with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him and he shall be caught in my snare. And I'm going to bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, and he shall not see it, though he shall die there. Let's go to 2 Kings 25. Just, I wasn't planning on it, but as long as it's come up, we'll get the, the details. 2, Chronicles, uh, 2 Kings 25, verse 4. Then the city was broken through, and all the men of war fled by night. And this is exactly what Ezekiel is playing out. Uh, between the two walls that was by the king's garden, even through the, the Chaldeans were still encamped around against the city. So this is a night escape. Uh, they haven't breached the wall yet. So the king, and the king went by the way of the plain. So what Ezekiel is acting out is what King Zedekiah is actually going to do. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. 
Now, that's a good ways away, but it's all downhill. And the army was scattered from him, so they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out, um, put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with brown fetters and took him to Babylon. And so he's in Babylon. Now let's go back, and those are the details. Go back to Ezekiel 12. And when it says in verse 13, um, he's, I will bring him to Babylon, yet he shall not see it. Well, why didn't they see it? Why won't he see it? Well, because they took his eyes out. So exactly what is being prophesied here is exactly what happened. Again, he was the last of all the kings of Israel, Zedekiah. And um, verse 14, I will scatter to every wind all who are around him to help him, all of his troops. That's exactly what we read in Second Kings. I will draw out a sword after him, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. When I scatter them among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. But I'll spare a few of the, of the men from the sword, from famine, from pestilence. Uh, for they have declared all their abominations among the Gentiles wherever they go. And then they shall know that I am the Lord. Now that's one sign. And um, it's directly tied in with uh, Zedekiah's midnight attempt to escape break through the wall, and Isaiah is just acting it out for it. Verses 17 to 28 is a different sign that's going to be taking place, and it's a sign of trembling. And now, verse 17, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking, and drink your water with trembling and anxiety. And say to the people of the land, thus says the Lord God to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the land of Israel, they shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with dread so that her land may be emptied of all who are in it because of the violence of all those who dwell in it. Then the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste. The land shall become desolate and you shall know that I am the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son son of man, what is this proverb that you people have brought about the land of Israel, which say, The days are prolonged, and every vision fails. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, The days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision. For no more shall there be any false visions or flattering definition within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass. I would like to read that over again about a hundred times. I will speak, and what I speak will come to pass. Good place for an amen. Whatever the Lord says is going to come to pass. Jesus said it has to. Jesus says, um, John baptized me. Why? Because everything has to be fulfilled. Um, Jesus, tell your disciples to shut up. They think you're the Messiah. I can't. It's prophesied. Psalm 118. 
that if, if they don't worship me, then the rocks will cry out. God's word has to come to pass. It can't be broken. It's the most sure thing um, that, that we possess, so we could have every confidence. Jesus described it to, to a, a jot and a tittle. It has to come to pass. It's like saying a period and crossing the T. You can't take that out of the Bible because it would ruin the perfection of this book. So when the Lord says, when I speak it, it's going to come to pass. It's, it's a done deal. And it will no more be postponed. For in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the word, and I will perform it, says the Lord God. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, look, the house of Israel is saying the vision that he sees is for, for many days from now. And he prophesies of times far away. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be postponed anymore. But the word which I speak will be done, says the Lord God. Now, what we need to keep in, in contrast here, if we're living in Babylon, he's outnumbered big time with he's in the minority. I believe true Bible-believing Christians in the last days will be in a minority. It's um, uh, uh, Christianity as we know it in America today is growing more and more seeker-sensitive, getting farther away from um, serious Bible studies. I think, I think they sometimes will take a scripture and give a message from it. They'll read one verse and then they'll talk for an hour. I call it sermonettes for Christianettes. How does that sound? Pretty, pretty much it. There's not, there, there's no meat to it. It's cotton candy. It's fluff. And they, the, and should we be surprised? No. What does God's word say? In the last days, they will heap up teachers after themselves, having itching ears, looking for people who will tell them what they want to hear. That's what the Joel Olsteins are all about. And um, um, the Willow Creek Bottle Churches or the Saddleback Bottle Churches. All programs engineered and designed by, well, one man in particular, Peter Drucker. Not even a Christian. But if you want to grow a successful business, he's your man. And if you want to have a lot of numbers in your church, well, he's got a program for you. Guess what? It works. But it's not the Lord's work. It's purpose-driven, not spirit-led. And there's a big difference between the two. In my wildest thinking as a, as a pastor, why would we ever, ever want to take secular leaders and have them teach uh, leaders in the church? I wouldn't think for a second of taking our elders and board members to Willow Creek. Why would I do that? I would take them to the youngest born-again Christian if they had a question who are gonna, is going to have more insight into the spiritual dimension than any CEO of any company that's not born again or know Jesus. Good place for an amen. But know this, gang, you're in the minority. And um, it's, it's, I, I, I call it the Walmart model. And the days of, um, of uh, the mom and pop shops, we all know that they've gone by the wayside. Why? You can't compete. Walmart's prices are cheaper. And uh, you can get anything and everything there. 
Don't get me wrong, I like Walmart. I was just there a couple days ago. Can't remember what I was buying, but I was buying something. And um, um, it's disheartening when I've seen um, godly men who have been faithful to the Lord for many, many years. I'm not talking about Calvary Chapels in particular right now. Um, Do you know that 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month? 1,500. Or maybe it's 1,000. I can't remember, but it's some unbelievable number. Um, because they just, just can't compete with, with, with the programs. And they have a program pretty much for anything you, that you want going. But they're not going to have a verse-by-verse study through the book of Ezekiel. I'll tell you that. Um, so what's going on in chapter 13 and why I said what I just said is the majority of the people really liked the guys we're going to talk about right now, the false prophet and the false prophetesses. And they were by far and away the popular guys in Babylon when Ezekiel and Jeremiah, well, they were the doomsday guys who never had anything good to say. Well, guess what? The Lord had had it, and he didn't have anything good to say. He said, what's happening is I'm going to bring judgment, and here are the reasons why. So as we get into all of chapter 13, it's divided in two sections. Um, 1 through 16 is going to be against the men who are false prophets. And 17 through 22 is going to be for the gals who have taken on the role of being a false prophetess. Verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy And say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophet who follows their own spirit and have seen nothing, explanation point. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the desert. You have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in the battle of the day of the Lord. They have envisioned futility and false definition, saying, Thus says the Lord, but the Lord has not spoken to them. Yet they hope that the word may be confirmed. Have you not seen a futile, futile vision, and have you not spoken false definition? You say, The Lord says, but I haven't spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken nonsense, and envisioned lies. Therefore, I am indeed against you, says the Lord God. Now, that's one thing I never want to hear. He's going to say it to Putin, uh, Ezekiel 38, Behold, I'm against you, Gog, O chief prince of Magog. And he says it to these false prophets. Why? Because indeed, they have seduced my people, saying peace, when there is no peace. And one builds a boundary wall and plasters it with untempered martyr. Say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar that it will fall. And there will be flooding rain. And you, O great hailstone, shall fall. And a stormy wind shall tear it down. Surely, when the wall has fallen, will it not be said to you, Where is the mortar with which you plastered it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will cause a stormy wind to break forth in my fury 
And there shall be a flooding rain in my anger and great hailstones and fury to consume it. And so I will break down um, the wall you have plastered with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be uncovered and it will fall. And you shall be consumed in the midst of it. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. And thus will I accomplish my wrath on the wall and those who have plastered it with untempered mortar. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who plastered it. That is the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, says the Lord God. And that was what Ezekiel and Jeremiah are up against. And the Lord saying, they're saying it in my name. I didn't speak to him. I've said just the opposite. And just the opposite is that they're going to be taken into captivity and they're going to be there for the next 70 years. It wasn't just the males. In verse 17 through the rest of this chapter, it now deals with the female prophetesses and says, Likewise, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own heart, they prophesy against them. And say, thus says the Lord God, woe to the woman who sew magic charms on their sleeves and make veils on the heads of the people of every height to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people and keep yourselves alive? Let me give you a current um, application to this what's going on here um how many of you ever seen a couple of the tv preachers um praying over a prayer shawl and saying we've prayed over this prayer shawl and if you'll donate to this ministry we're going to send it to you and whatever ailment you have all you have to have is this prayer shawl and whatever disease you have you're going to be taken care of we used to get them in the mail you get these little prayer rugs that's been prayed over by some TV preacher, and it says if you if you get one of these, you're 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 going to be healed. Well, if you buy that one, then I got a bridge for you in New York. I'd also like to sell you. And um, you know, I've tried to stay away from the political stuff, um, but there's a commercial out there that I just can't let go by. So I'm I'm not either I'm not going to be pro Republican or or or, or pro-Democrat um, here, but this is a TV ad that's out there. And um, uh, it's Mike Gallagher, just so you know, but this is an ad that's playing right now. Uh, he's sitting with his mother, and he has a little charm. And what it is is St. Michael. And St. Michael is a patron saint for soldiers. And so here he is giving this commercial. Again, I'm neither pro one way or the other, but the point I'm trying to make as a politician is out there with his mother, and he's holding up this this relic, and he's saying, um, my mother had a priest bless this. And then mother looks over, because he's a, he's a, was a, a Marine, and he's alive. And so his mother in the commercial says, see, it works. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that didn't have um, uh, uh, one of these blessed medallions, and they're still alive too. 
And so basically what it is, I've never seen anything quite like it on TV. Don't think I have anything against uh, Mike Gallagher. I really don't. But my point is, this is what they were doing in, in Israel. They had, the, the, the gals were making these claws, and they were putting them on the people, and they were prophesying with them. Was it doing the people any good? No. Were people buying into it? Yes. And so we read here, um, verse 19, And you will profane me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread. In other words, they're on the take. Just like some in ministry are on the take. The prosperity teachers are on the take. And um, that's why a lot of people with common sense don't want anything to do because they see right through it. They, you can tell when a guy's on the take, um, whether it's um, um, a secular person or, or some TV evangelist. Um, they're doing it for what they can get out of it, killing people who do not die and keeping people alive who should not live. By your lying to my people who listen to these lies. Verse 20, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against your magic charms, I'm also against your lucky charms. No, it doesn't say that. But which you hunt souls like birds. I will tear them from your arms and let the souls of the souls of that hunt like birds. And I will also tear off your veils and deliver my people out of your hand. And they shall no longer be a prey in your hand. In other words, they were taking advantage of people that simply wanted to hear something better than what Ezekiel had to say. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad. And you have strengthened the hands of the wicked so that he does not turn from his wicked ways to save his life. Therefore, you shall no longer envision a futility nor practice divination, for I will deliver my people out of your hand and you'll know that I'm I'm the Lord. So chapter 13, the Lord is singling out those people that were um, false prophets, and the Lord speaks directly to them. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, New Testament. 2 Peter 2. Nothing new under the sun. In Matthew 24, one of the when asked, Lord, what's it going to be like in the last days? The thing that Jesus mentions the most four times in Matthew 24 is that there'd be false Christs and false prophets that would arise and show even signs and wonders so that even the very elect would be deceived. Peter here in Second Peter 2 verse 1 says, but there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. There are those out there that today believe in universalism. There's many different ways to heaven. Some well-known um, Teachers, in many respects, are solid, yet hold to annihilationism. Uh, annihilationism is that um, 
the soul will eventually be annihilated so they won't have eternal suffering. Um, but that's a false teaching. And it's, it is not certainly what the Lord um, clearly speaks about what the consequences are when a person dies in your sins. Jesus says, unless you repent, you're gonna perish. Um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. But the next verse goes on to say um, that you're condemned already if you don't believe. So everybody, the whole world is already condemned. So we're under a death sentence and the only way out is like Noah and the lifeboat, there's only one way, one door, one way of salvation, the flood's coming, and if you want to be saved, there's only one, one door. That's one of the reasons Jesus said, I am the door. And there's no other name under heaven whereby you can be saved. Real good place for an amen. amen. But Peter's saying here, there's going to come people that are going to bring in other teachings, like universalism. Who was I talking to? We, were, we got somehow sidetracked on, on the shack and this person used to go to a, a church that actually invited um, Paul Young in to speak. And um, not having the discernment to understand that the whole book is nothing more than about universalism. And universal is simply the teaching that everybody eventually is going to be saved. That's false doctrine. That's a false teacher. And Jesus said there'd be a lot of them. And Paul, Peter said here also, verse two, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. And for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not uh, slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And he did not spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example of those who afterwards would live ungodly. And he delivered righteous Lot, like, like Noah, who is oppressed with the filthy conduct of the wicked. Now what does that make you think of? Well, it makes me think of the angel with the inkhorn that's supposed to go through the city of Jerusalem and mark anybody that's depressed and has anxiety and is grieved over the sins of their country. What about Lot? It says he was oppressed with the filthy conduct of the wicked. So he was a righteous man, and he was also marked because he was delivered. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from the day by day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Again, I want to tell you guys, it's okay to be grieved and bummed out when you see what's going on in our world. Another good place for an amen. You know, it's not all about you having a better life. Um, the last Last verse, here, here's a McGee comment on, on chapter, um, the last part of chapter 13 and 12. Everybody wants to believe that the future out yonder is beautiful. My friend, that's how you always know it's Javer and McGee, because he says, my friend. <laughs> 
The only beautiful thing that lies ahead is the fact that someday the Lord Jesus will take his church out of the world. Amen to that. That is the only hope we have. This world is not going to get better, and we are not going to have peace. In all of recorded history, there have only been two to three hundred years of what we could actually be called peace. Man is not building the new world he thinks he is. And that's reality. And the Lord says, uh, especially when Israel comes again, that's the beginning of sorrows. And so it doesn't paint a very rosy picture until you get the whole vision of God's plan. Which brings us to chapter 14, and I'm not going to do it because I'm at my time right now. So I will leave chapter 14 to next week, but I do want to um, close with, go to Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll end it with this tonight. Hebrews 11. It's not doom and gloom. Sometimes uninformed people say, oh, you crazy Christians always talking about the end of the world. No. End of the world isn't going to happen for at least a thousand years. A thousand and seven to be exact at the earliest. In Hebrews 11, picking it up, um, oh, verse 13, talking about these Old Testament saints, it says, they all died in faith not having received the promises, plural. But having seen them from afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Gang, if you're putting any hope at all in this world, you're going to be disappointed. Unless you have the pilgrim mentality um, that we're just passing through. I like that saying so much, I had it put on the back of a t-shirt. Just passing through? And you need to know that you're just passing through. And the road's going to get bumpier from here until the Lord takes us home. But we're pilgrims on the earth. Verse 14, for those who say such things declare, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now, they desire something better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Jerusalem is going to fall in Ezekiel's time. Jerusalem fell in Jesus' time. It's going to fall during the, the Great Tribulation. But the good news is he has a new Jerusalem with your apartment home already prepared for you, as he said in John chapter 14. To me, that's a pretty positive message. Uh, but he, he's gut-level honest talking about what's going to happen in Ezekiel's time, and he says... To them, I want you guys to know you're in the minority. You're up against a whole lot of false teachers and false prophets that are telling people exactly what they want to hear, but it's not coming from me. So, Ezekiel, stand your ground. Don't compromise. Tell the people the truth. And um, they're going to learn in, in very short order because we're getting now closer to the point where Jerusalem does actually fall, just like Ezekiel and Jeremiah said. History bears it out. Question. Was Israel 70 years in captivity? Oh, yeah. That's what Daniel starts with. That it's time to go home. He was there for the full duration of that time. And I'm past mine, so let's stand. <laughs> Lord, thank you for um, your word, all of it. And um, 
for the book of Ezekiel, Lord, and how we see so many similarities. Um, Being in a minority, knowing that uh, judgment is imminent, knowing that we're actually seeing what you said in Zechariah, that Jerusalem is becoming a cup of trembling. And now we see the main players gathered in the Middle East with Russia and Iran, Damascus, so many things right on the verge. So Lord, you've told us to occupy until you come. And so Lord, just help us keep pressing on, keeping the faith, being faithful to share with people that are not yet saved, and um, not falling into any of the traps of the false doctrine that you are and always will be the, the only way that man can be saved. And we thank you for that salvation tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.